This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Have you ever had it where the devil starts to play something in your life where it's a genuine lack? or it's a genuine mistake that you made, and you're even sort of walking through some of the fallout of it, and the devil plays it. It's called condemnation, uh, is what it is, where it's, it's beyond just guilt, and it starts to press into territory of feeling unlovely, uh, unworthy, and this isn't actually bad territory, as long as you don't allow the enemy to get full advantage, and I wanna, give you a a thought just to reflect upon. First of all, let me ask you a question. What's your position? You see, as a believer, we are in Christ. No longer are we in Adam. You see, Adam is under a just condemnation. He's deserving of eternal separation from God, but Christ has made a way that when we repent and believe, we exit Adam and Adam's judgment, and we enter into Christ and Christ's reward. And so, if we were to evaluate what we deserve, it would be a bad conclusion. And the devil will always try and appeal on the point of what do you deserve. So right now, if you were to just think through your last week and some of the decisions you made, maybe a bad attitude that you had, maybe a bad thought that you had, say, what do you deserve? Well, let's look at the law and we can unfold it for you and you deserve separation from God, you deserve condemnation. The secret about Christianity isn't reflecting upon what we deserve, but what Christ deserves. What does Christ deserve through this past week? Well, he deserves, uh, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary what he deserves. He was perfect this last week. You see, your position isn't in Adam and what Adam deserves. Christianity is found in us finding our refuge in what Christ deserves. We don't deserve it. The entirety of Christianity isn't based on what we deserve, otherwise we have no hope in this world. It's based upon the fact that he is worthy. He is deserving. And so I just wanna freshly remind you as we start out this message to find your refuge, your safety, your eternity in Christ, not in your deservedness. It's funny how the devil will play that, though. This last week, it's just like, oh, I just, I want to live perfectly for Christ. You know, it's a wonderful thing that you desire to live right. But actually, the best thing you can do is just find your refuge. Put your faith in his work. He is worthy. He has done it. Find your safety and your sanity right here. That's why it's called good news. He has done it. Removing the kinks. The word kinks is actually not a very good word, uh, but it's a good word for this message. And it's funny, this this message sort of has a double meaning just with that title, because kinks is sort of like the people that are a little uh, iffy. uh, And at the same time, a kink is a twist in something. And that's why the people that are kinks are a little twisted, yes. And so, but this isn't about purging all the kinks out of this church, because we'd all probably have to be removed. And so it is about removing that which hinders 
the flow, like in a hose, okay? If you, we're getting to the season where we're attaching our, our hoses to the spigots of our house. And have you ever had it where you're trying to water something and out is a little dribble? It's like, what in it? And so what do you do? You evaluate the hose to see where the kink is, okay? Either you didn't turn on the water or there's some problem with the hose. And have you ever, I, I can't stand bad hoses. And now they have like these extra, they're always expensive though. Have you ever had that where you go into like Home Depot and you're like, I need a new hose. Like, wow, that's expensive. But it doesn't kink. Have you ever had, seen that? It's like, boy, that's attractive. You see, I can't stand hoses that are always twisting over on themselves and they, they block the flow of water. When you believe in Jesus, see if I can describe this. There is like a hose, it's like a pipeline, but I wanna call it a hose because hoses bend, okay? That'll be a little better for this, this mental picture. And it attaches to the kingdom of heaven, to the very throne room of grace, to the very aquifer, the, the very headwaters of the life of God. And it pressurizes this hose. This hose is loaded with grace, with life, with the abundance of God. And it plugs right into your heart, to your life here. And so, for all practical purposes, we should be the happiest people on earth because the very life of God is supposed to be flooding into us and then out of us. The very peace of God is supposed to be flooding into us and out of us. The very joy of God is flooding in and out. Mercy, in, out. Kindness, in, out. Truth, in, out. Well, that would be nice. The problem is, there's some kinks in the hose. There's things that cause that flow to be hindered. And so this is a message that we will visit from different angles as a church. It's just important as a church to just freshly remember that there are things that can block that flow of grace. And so if you see a blockage, what should you do? You, you fix it. And so if you saw that your hose wasn't, you know, had a little kink in it, what would you do? You'd straighten it out. Well, that's what we need to do. And as we go through this today, it's amazing how every single one of us in here can identify with this message one way or the other. Either we're, we've freshly gotten out kinks and now we have a flow of grace and we're just so happy, or we're wondering, why do I feel like something's off in my life? And God can put his finger on things and say, it's right there, right in the hose. Let's, let's fix that. So removing the kinks, untwisting that which is hindering the flow of grace. Before we get into this, I want to just remind you that there's a dis the difference between condemnation and conviction. A lot of us in modern Christianity get the two mixed up because with both of them, there is a sting or a weight, but one is a healthy version and one is an unhealthy. Like for instance, if you went to a Nazi concentration camp and they kicked you with a steel-toed boot, that's an unhealthy pain. But if you're in the gym and you're, you know, you're bench pressing or you're doing some curls and you feel a pain in your muscle, that's a good pain. One is constructive and one is destructive. Condemnation is destructive. It basically says there's no hope for you. Hey, you might as well give up now. Whereas conviction says I love you too much to allow you to keep living like this. There's a big difference between the two and we oftentimes when we blur the lines, we shoo away God's conviction under the banner of calling it condemnation. So conviction, I'm showing you this thing in your life because I love you too much not to intervene and help you turn around. Please let me help you. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's because he loves us. 
It's not because he wants us to feel miserable. A lot of us think that God's whole job description is to make us feel miserable, to remove all the fun out of life. Actually, it's to love us and to bring life to us, to bring the fullness of himself to us. That's why he gets kinks out of the hose. It's because he wants to get all that he is into us. And yet, if, we, if, if God saw that we had a kink in the hose, he's like, hey, I'd like to get some life to you. And then we are upset with him. Why are you showing me the kinks? I don't want to see the kinks. God, stop talking to me about my kinks. Why does he want to show you that? So that the life can get to you. See, this is because he loves you. Condemnation is very different. Look how bad you are. You are worthless. Do you actually think God would take you back after such behavior? Give it up. He's not going to have anything to do with a sinner like you. That is condemnation. It leaves you hopeless. Condemnation just says, hey, you might as well give up. God's had enough to do with you. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you moving forward. You are a sinner. And whereas that's true, you are, you have a savior. You see, and that's what conviction leads you to, to the fact that you have a savior, that it is his worthiness, his deservedness that you rest upon, not yours. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit brings. Condemnation is what the devil brings. Conviction brings contrition, brokenness, and humility. Condemnation brings hopelessness and despair. So as we walk through this message, this is a message that will dig a little inside the soil of, of our heart and our life. And I want us to allow conviction and I want us to push away condemnation. The impassable ivory wall. So. I've given this illustration over the years many, many times, but so some of you may have heard it. It's a great way of describing something that is sometimes hard to describe, and that is this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, this beautiful place for eternity that we want to share in the loveliness of the intimacy with the king of all kings, but there's something that has separated us, known as sin. It's like an impassable ivory wall. And so some of you can say, well, I'll just climb over it. Well, no, you see this wall goes 10 million miles high. You say, well, I'll go around the left side. No, it goes 10 million miles to the left. Oh, I'll go around the right. No, it goes 10 million miles to the right. And some of you that are very smart, go, you get your shovel out. You're like, I'll dig underneath. No, it goes 10 million miles into the dirt. You're like, well, wait a minute. There's no way around. Well, there actually is a way. There is one singular way through this. See, right at the base where the, the dirt touches the wall, there's a little opening just big enough for a man or a woman if they will humble themselves, get on their face. They have to leave everything behind. No pocket knife can even make it through. They have to give up everything. And when they humble themselves, they can enter into this kingdom. There is no other means, and of course we all know, that's Jesus Christ, that's the cross, that's coming to the cross, laying down our life and saying, God, you're right, this is wrong. I want you, no matter what, would you humble yourself? Would you become like a little child? And, you know, that's hard for the proud human race. And yet, unless that proud human race humbles itself, it cannot participate on what's on the other side of this ivory wall. But there is a way. There is a way in, but that way is a way of humility. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Stop right there. Don't read ahead. We're about to get a quotation from God Almighty. He's going to speak. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. <laughs> We're about to hear what God would say. He's about to speak. Isn't this amazing? And we get to listen in. What is he going to say? 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When God speaks, what does he tell us? Guys, you know who dwells with me? You know who I will share my life with, who will I, I will share eternity with? I will share it with those who have a contrite and humble spirit. You see, he does not allow in a proud spirit. That's very clear in scripture. Pride is not allowed in. It's humility that is allowed in. And said, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about this entry into the kingdom of heaven that involves humility and it involves a littleness, if you could say it that way. A youngness. You see, the more we get matured in this life, the more we carry around barnacles of thinking we're all that. But a little child simply trusts. Are we willing to be humble and to simply trust that God knows best? So back when Eric was around 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. I'd, I actually never wrote this down so, with a date. So it's somewhere in that zone of time. It could even be 21. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that was exposing the fact that though I was dead serious about Jesus, this flow of grace into my life had hindrance. So when I was at college, I was going door to door in the dorms and sharing with people about Jesus, or at least telling them to come to Bible studies that would be about Jesus. Okay, that was my equivalent of evangelizing. And I had a, a prayer meeting in my dorm every night to pray for revival for the campus. And some of you are like, wow, this guy was serious. Yeah, I was. And yet, I had some serious impediments in my spiritual life. When I came home for Christmas break, I was still yelling at my brother. I was still telling my, my mom that I hated meatloaf. I had these dimensions of my life that were off, and I could not see them. They were blind spots for me. They were kinks in the hose. And as a result, though I had access to the grace of God, there was something that was twisting that so that the life of God, the mercy of God, the love of God was not flowing through me freely. And so I remember having this recognition and there are certain things that led to it, but I'll skip all that just to get to the point where I got a piece of paper out in front of me. I took a whole day when I was somewhere around, so let's say 19 to 21, took a whole day with me and this piece of paper, a pencil, and the Holy Spirit. I said, God, I want, to, I want you to show me if there's anything in my life that is hindering my walk with you. I don't know if any of you have ever taken a day with a piece of paper, a pencil, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's rather daunting and intimidating, I have to admit, and it was for me even then, but that's how serious I was about my faith. I wanted the real thing. I don't know how many of you have been disturbed by the false version of Christianity out there, where you're like, okay, I don't want that. And that, that's me. I don't want that. There's so much of it out there. The plastic version of Christianity, the one that has all the scripture verses and everything, but no life. I don't want that. God, save me from the false Eric, are you willing to let me speak to you, to touch you, to remove those kinks? Well, God, what are, we, what are you talking about here? You see, when you go in the direction of God, you have to trust him. 
You have to humble yourself. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. What is he touching on? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of being humbled. We're afraid of being what we would call humiliated. We don't want to look weak. And it, God, if you were, I, I know there's something in my past that if I were to have to make that right, I would look weak if I did. We don't like that. So I spent a day. I'll show you just a little sampling of what was on my piece of paper. I'm glad I don't have this piece of paper anymore because I could just see God saying, show it to him. But I, I don't have it. So I can give you more summary points, which feels a lot better. Lies that I told. You see, I'm a Christian and God had forgiven me. I, it, the issue wasn't forgiveness. The issue was what I'm going to call restitution. You see, if you have told lies and you come to Christ and you seek forgiveness, you know that you still, your relationship with God, you can call it Godward, your relationship Godward is clear. But there's still a manward dimension. There was someone that heard me speak a lie. So what do I need to do, God? Tell the truth. Oh, that, that's a hard one. Girls harmed. I'm not going to go into any detail on that, but let's just suffice to say that I didn't like having that one come up on the list, and it did. Tests cheated on in high school. People hurt. That's a very general statement, but yes. Dumb moves committed. Idiotic maneuvers maneuvered. <laughs> Boneheaded decisions made. Christ denied. I remember one time I was in, in a bus, school bus, and my mom was considered by this one guy in the bus a religious nut. And he asked me if I was a religious nut like my mom. I said, no way. Boy, the weight of that one statement in my life, it felt so much like Peter. I could even hear a cock crowing <laughs> as I was saying it. It's like, Eric, are you willing to stand with me? And in a sense, I was saying no. You see, these things were all real decisions I had made in my life. It's not that God can't forgive. It's that I needed to allow the Holy Spirit to touch each one and address them, to get the kink out. Sometimes we just want to have the blanket of forgiveness. We don't want the Holy Spirit to walk us through the fact that when I punched that person in the nose, I actually offended someone. And that I actually need to go back to that someone and say, I was wrong, what I did was incorrect, and to make restitution. You see, if you steal from someone, what should you do? Don't just come to God and say, God, I'm so sorry that I stole. You should go back to that person you stole from and return that money and add interest. You see, that's the pattern that God sets in Scripture. And most of us have never gone through getting the kink out. We just sort of pray over the kink and go, God, forgive me for the kink. The guy's like, well, you should just straighten that kink out. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Restitution, the oft-overlooked step in the unkinking of the grace pipeline. This was hard for me. and I'm actually not trying to prescribe for you any action, any behavior. I'm mainly bringing things up. And I'm saying that in my life, there was a need for making things right that were wrong. Now, I want you to just imagine this. In my life, I have done evil. And so in the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to not just show me the shed blood of Jesus and to give me forgiveness, it's also to take that place where I once showed evil and to see it overwritten with truth. So if I lied, to overwrite that now with truth and to speak truth instead. Where I have shown unkindness, 
to actually overwrite that with a show of kindness. And so this is how God makes right. He takes what the enemy is meant for evil and in a sense he converts it, he works it for good in those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So this is how he makes things right. So I'm gonna go through a series of, of steps that the, the Bible will lay out of how we bring restoration to things and you're gonna see that restitution is gonna find its place in your humble understanding. I get it, I really hurt you, didn't I? So if, if you have a relationship with someone, and I've, I've had this happen with Leslie and I in our marriage many times, where I do something that hurts Leslie, but I don't get it. So what I want is for her, you know, I just wanna say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry that I, I said that, would you forgive me? In other words, I go through the right motion, and for whatever reason, that doesn't satisfy Leslie. It's like, hey, the Bible says forgive. You know, men are famous for pointing at the Bible saying it, it says for you to forgive me. And yet what the woman is needing in that situation is what's called humble understanding. Is what Leslie wants to say to me is you don't get it. You don't get what I'm saying. What do you mean I don't get what you're saying? Would you, I, I said something that offended you, would you forgive me? Yeah, but you don't understand why it offended me. You don't understand how it hurt me. And I'm thinking, what the way? You see, there's a spiritual gift that if you, all of us as men, I'm talking to us men just for a second here. If we as men would ask for it, God, give me humble understanding. We're sort of afraid to have it, actually. We don't want to have the humble understanding. We'd rather just give the, the scriptural law to it. You need to forgive me. As opposed to saying, I'm wrong. What I did hurts you. We as men are supposed to live in an understanding way with our wives. Humble understanding, I get it. I really hurt you, didn't I? Godly sorrow, I can't believe I did that. I genuinely feel terrible about it. This is a good process. This is the healthy work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, this is godly sorrow works repentance. No more, I'm not gonna do this again. I'm done with that behavior. You see, when you have humble understanding, it starts a domino train. It starts knocking over the things in the direction and it's leading us somewhere. Confession, I did this terrible thing to you and I want to acknowledge that I believe it was wrong. And then restitution. What do I need to do in order to make this wrong right? Whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. So if we handled our relationships this way, it's amazing how life would begin to flow through that hose from heaven into us, restore us, and then out of us. And so this is what I mean by finding those kinks and removing them in the hose. So what that process is that I just showed you is it's called humbling yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. You know, it's, it's hard, I, I get it. It goes against the grain of your natural man. But don't try and live according to the grain of your natural man. Don't live in Adam's strength. I want you to make your decisions and do your living in Christ. Because in Christ, this isn't against the grain. This is very much in alignment with the grain of Christ. This is who he is. Christ, in Christ, there is a free flow through. When he was here, there was no kinks in the hose. So when you get into Christ, he's going to help you clarify that relationship between heavenly truth, your life, and the life of others. 
So it's the necessary process of overriding what the enemy meant for evil with God's behavior. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So at any juncture in life where you, you recognize that you have made a mistake, at any juncture, you can recognize that God will take that, and if you submit it to him, he's great at leading you through to take what was meant for evil and work it to good. This is what he does. But we have to agree with the process. There's a part of us that wants to fight the process. We don't really want to go in that direction. We just want to say, God, will you please forgive me? And it's not that he won't forgive you. It's that God's work and his pattern goes deeper than just a quick statement heavenward. God wants to restore not just right relationship with him, but right relationship with each other. You see, we're in this together whether we want to be or not. And so as a result, when you offend your brother, when you hurt others, when you do things that defraud others, for instance, you could steal from someone and they don't know it. And yet you still defrauded them. You've taken from them. You've harmed your brother or your sister. And as a result, there is a need to make that right. The art of getting kinks out. Now, very simply put, I'm going to give you a description of what that is. It's exercising humility. You see, when you exercise humility, you get kinks out. It's that simple. When you exercise humility and the Spirit of God is able to speak to you and lead you, Say, well, why don't you go to your parents, Eric, this is what happened when I'm on a piece of paper, and tell them that you snuck out of the house uh, all those years back and what you did. God, I, uh, my parents were just starting to have confidence in me that I was actually a pleasant son. I still remember my mom sitting across the table and looking at me going, God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and I said, I think you did a great job. That was what I said. My mom wasn't so sure about it. So my mom is starting to think, you know, Eric's, Eric's showing some signs of hope. The last thing I want to do is say, and by the way, here's how really bad I was. And so, and the devil will speak to you all day long. The moment you have those thoughts, it's like, I don't want people to think of me that way. You know that there's nothing more impressive in the kingdom of heaven than humility? I, I don't know how to describe it. The devil will never tell you that. But when you see someone humble themselves, you say, wow, that's amazing. Because it's a work of grace. It is a true spiritual sign of muscular strength. Humility is not weakness. It is actually a great strength being showcased inside the inner man to agree with God and to agree that this is not the Savior. This is not what is impressive. He is. And when we agree with that, wow, it's impressive to us in the church of Jesus Christ. So many of you, if you've gone through Ellerslie, have heard uh, a message called The Spirit of the Humble when I go through the story of Jennifer. But uh, Jennifer was one of, uh, she went to junior high with me. She had cerebral palsy. And uh, we mockingly referred to her, to her as Jennifer Wheelchair when we were in junior high. And this girl was something special. It's all I can say in hindsight. It's like, wow. She had a special school she could have gone to, but she wanted to be treated like everyone else. She wanted to go through public school. She, wanted to, she did graduate even from college. I mean, this is, she couldn't speak normal, and she couldn't walk normal. She couldn't function normal, but her mind was very sharp. 
And uh, she went through the worst of it in public junior high. That's all I can say. And I participated. I was trained better by my parents. I knew how I should be treating Jennifer. But wow, uh, I didn't. And so I'd forgotten about that. That was years in the past. I mean, junior high, whoa, I don't even want to think about that. And I had my piece of paper day, right? Jennifer never came up on the piece of paper. And then it was like the next night or the night after, I was sleeping and I have this dream, I'm in a church and this head is in front of me and the head turns around. I know that face, it's Jennifer from junior high. And she looks at me like, what about me? I wake up, I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I mean, I saw it, I relived an event and that is Jennifer in junior high. We had these tile, a big tile floor, uh, tile piece, tile hallway, I'll just say it that way. In the hall, she was on her crutches that day in the hall and I was staying with my buddies against the locker. She had what I later found out was a seizure. But at the time, she was just making a very funny face. She lost control of her body and landed flat on her face on the tile floor. And my buddies started laughing. There's a, it's a difficult balance that we carry in public school for popularity. And the last thing you really wanna do is identify with the weak one and stand against your buddies. I joined my buddies. Her nurse came out. I remember her kneeling down with Jennifer and looking up going, how could you? How could you? My buddies mocked her and ran off and I had to make a choice. You know those choices in life and what did I do? I ran with my buddies. Yep, it happened. Eric's not happy about it at all and I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not gaining any points with any of you in telling you the story. This is what comes up. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. But the issue went beyond just God's forgiveness. There needed to be something made right here, but I, I was scared to even ask God what that something was. I began to search out Jennifer. I remember calling the school. The school said they couldn't give her information out. This was you know, government uh, entity and they can't do that, it's private. I'm like, oh, that's fine, that's fine. And I come back to God, I'm like, yeah, it's too bad it didn't work. And yet God wouldn't let up. There was like a pressing that, Eric, show your love for me by pursuing this. So I did, and I found her. I invited her out to lunch with my sister. I dragged my sister into it. We drove two hours to meet with Jennifer, and we wheeled her down in her, in her uh, wheelchair down to a local cafe. It was literally a block away from our old junior high. And uh, we got done with that. And I, didn't, I, I was wondering, God, do you want me to say, I'm sorry that I laughed at you uh, in junior high? And I didn't feel like I was supposed to say that, but that where I had shown discourtesy and, and uh, a lack of love and kindness that now I was supposed to show the kindness, the love and the mercy. And I was supposed to overwrite that which was wrong. And so at the end of the meal, I remember her saying, uh, she, go, go to school. She wanted to go to the school. It was the last place on earth I ever wanted to go to again. And so I acted like I didn't understand her and sort of like, yeah, let's go, let's pick things up. And uh, she said it again, and my sister was with me, and she knew exactly what she was saying. She said, Eric, she wants to go to the school. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I said, oh, wonderful, yeah. And so we went to the school, and oh, all the old feelings, all the old smells, oh. I walk in, everyone knew Jennifer. All the people behind the guy, Jennifer! No one remembered me. And I remember Mr. Harper came walking out. He was the PE teacher. He's like, Jennifer gives her a big hug. And I go, hi, I'm Mr. Harper. I was in Jennifer's class. My name's Eric Ludi. I don't know if you remember me. Oh, I have a lot of students. That was what he said. It's like, oh. 
and then Jennifer wanted to go down the hall to see her favorite teacher, Mrs. Phillips, and she was my favorite teacher too. So we were wheeling her down the hall to, the, uh, to Mrs. Phillips' class. And I was just happy that it was between classes so we didn't have to be in real junior high. The problem was halfway down the hall, the bell rings. And suddenly this humanity starts swirling around. I mean, making noise, getting mad at us because we're blocking their way. I mean, it was just rudeness personified, right? And I'm standing there in the middle of this swarm of pubescent humanity, <laughs> wishing I could be anywhere but right here, and I recognized that I was precisely where God wanted me. You know where I was? I was in the exact place where Jennifer had fallen on her face all those years earlier. And instead of laughing at her, I was standing with her. And God, in his way, says, it's done. It was like the kink is out of the hose and there's a flow of grace into the life of Eric. His squeezed hand. I don't know if any of you have ever heard my squeezed hand story. These are terrible stories. I, I picked up a guy on the streets. He was like begging and he was in some kind of system where they drop you off and he never got picked up but he was in suburbia, USA. And so I, I said, hey, you know, I drove by him a couple times. I like, you do you need something? He goes, yeah, I don't have a ride back to the city. They left me here. I'm like, hey, well, I could help you with that. So I'm doing my good deed, right? And I take him back and I'm thinking this is my opportunity to share the gospel with him. And so I'm talking, trying to talk with him about Jesus. He wasn't really having it. And at the very end, I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And he goes, that's fine. Uh, and so I took his hand, right? And I, I'm praying. And so that happened, right? I prayed for the guy. And so in church the next Sunday, uh, they have testimony time. It was one of those Bob Gazaway testimony times. And I, <laughs> I, I, you know, we always want to sort of prove to people that we are the evangelist or that we're doing things that are very spiritual and significant. This is, I just met Leslie. Leslie was sitting right near me, okay? And she just met me. This is one of her first impressions of Eric Ludi. So I stand up. Oh, thank you. And I grabbed the microphone. And <clears throat> so I picked up a, a man on the streets who was in need and who drove and shared the gospel with him. And then I realized about this point as I was dropping him off that there's nothing special about the story. I didn't lead him to Christ. There was nothing there in the story, so I recognized the only reason I'm really doing this is to try and gain some kind of brownie point with the group to see me as spiritual. So I added something to the story that wasn't there, and that is at the end of the prayer, he squeezed my hand. <laughs> so I got done, I sat down, and I, this is what God says to me. Squeezed hand, huh? Oh, my God. He, I, it was like a weight on me. I had just lied to the church of Jesus Christ. God, no. Because I knew what I needed to do. I either needed to track down every single person in that church and make it right, or I needed to do it right then. And guess what? The guy had already said, open to Ephesians. Uh, let's go to chapter 4. Uh, and then I'm like, excuse me. Excuse me. Yes, sir. Uh, <clears throat> I, I need to say something. He didn't actually squeeze my hand. <laughs> that was a lie. Oh, so a kink was out of the hose. So I'm on a national radio show. And when you're on a national radio show, you're extra sensitive to every word you're saying. And there was something, I, I'm really glad I can't remember what it was, you know, I, and I mean that. Uh, but the lady asked me a question and there was two ways I could answer it, and I, I don't even remember what it was, but I answered it 
with something that was a falsehood. Now, in my mind, I could justify it because if you look at it from this angle, yeah, that, but I said something that wasn't true. And I got done with that. And this is a very well-known person, right, that I want to look good in their eyes. I want to be impressive. I get done with that, and I know exactly what God is saying to me. Eric, what was that? That wasn't true. God, please, please. I, I, can't. I mean, there's, there's certain situations which just, you just need to let things go. <laughs> Eric, this isn't for my sake. This is for your sake. I had to call up that host. Yes. Yeah, I'm Eric Ludy. You just did an interview with me. Yes. Uh, remember when you asked me this? That was actually a lie when I said this. Are you serious? Yeah. Whoa, uh, okay. So will you forgive me for that? I'm really sorry. All right. That was like so, so unmerciful and so unfeeling. Everything about it was hard for this guy. And guess what? Am I glad I did it? Yep. Was I ever asked back on that show? Nope. <laughs> to get those kinks out in my life is far more valuable than ever getting a call back on that show. And for me, these are the moments that probably most define the trajectory of my life is when I'm willing to consider God's opinion and that flow of grace in my life over any man's opinion. Uh, so we had had this relationship with this organization when we first started that was, it was a hard uh, relationship. We were stepped on so many times, and that, I don't want to go into that at all, but there were so many reasons for us to hold an offense. Let's just put it that way. And we've been taken advantage of. We're just a young couple, and it was so unjust. So, we were so badly treated in so many regards. And I had this one time where I had called in, and they had given me the runaround, and I raised my voice, and I made something clear, that I was really tired of this. And so I get, this organization invites me to speak at their, it's like an international conference. People from all, leaders from all over the world are coming in, and I'm going to be speaking, doing a keynote at this. And they asked me to speak on forgiveness. Of all the topics, they asked me to speak on forgiveness. And so there I am, I'm, I'm preparing to speak on forgiveness, and I cannot give that message until I make something right. Now, this is really hard. You know why? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, they are responsible for this mountain. And I, I had one conversation where I raised my voice. Come on, God, that's unjust to me. You can't ask me to make something right for what I did when they are responsible for all of this. I couldn't give that message until I called the entire staff in the back before I went up, had to humble myself in front of them and said, I, I spoke wrongly. It was not as Christ would speak. I was harsh in my tone. Here's what I did. I want to seek all of your forgiveness. They all look at me and like, yeah, we'll, we'll forgive you, Eric. That's it. They never made anything right. And the question that God was asking me is, is that okay? Is that okay? You see, when we take responsibility for our side and don't put an expectation that the other side will ever catch the drift, it's very significant for that hose in our life, that flow of grace. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
There's one thing that you can bring to the God of heaven, and that is a contrite heart. He will not despise it. He won't knock it out of your hand. Hey, I don't want that. Oh, he wants it. There's something very, very precious in the kingdom of heaven of a broken and a contrite heart. On this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The art of keeping kinks out. So there's one thing that God, I think, may want to deal with us as a body today, and that is getting the kinks out. Then there's another art called keeping them out. There's different proper hose techniques where you roll up your hose properly and all that that helps keep kinks out. Well, spiritually, there is the same. And uh, <clears throat> it's exercising humility. You see, the way we get them out in the first place is we're willing to humble ourselves. The way that we keep them out is we're willing to humble ourselves. In other words, guys, the way we need to live as Christians is humbly. Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, I remember I was, uh, I had been talking with, uh, this is back when I was like 18, 19. I was on a missionary team and we were driving to Monroe, Louisiana where there was a youth rally. And we were in, in the bus and everyone was talking about their love life and what they believed about love and relationships. And I had convictions that God had been working in my life but I hadn't really talked about them. They were just sort of working inside of me. And someone looks at me and says, so, Eric. I said, well, I, I, I just wanna love my spouse even now, before I meet them. I wanna live as if they're real, and I want to treat them in such a way that if they were watching me right now, they'd feel honored. And I had this leader on the team that said, that's ridiculous. As you can't love someone you've never met. I said, well, I do, so I'm not sure how to respond to that. And she, she was, it was a lady, she was just really upset. It like really upset her that I had this view. And so I just left it, I wasn't gonna make an issue out of it, but that happened, right? So we get to Monroe, Louisiana, and there's this huge youth rally, 800 kids or so that are there, and the leader comes up to our leader, which wasn't this lady, it was a, it was a, a man, and says, uh, do you have someone in your team that can talk about purity for maybe five minutes? Uh, and so someone who has overheard this conversation on the bus says, Eric Ludi knows a lot about that. <laughs> and so I have the, the leader come up to me, I'm young. I have the leader come up to me and say, could you, uh, Eric, I heard that you're, uh, you could speak on this. Could you speak on purity uh, tonight for maybe five minutes uh, to this youth rally? Like, oh, I, in fact, I don't even think it was a question. I think it was, you're going to speak on purity. I think that's how it worked. You're going to speak on purity. And it's like I knew I was supposed to. Even in that moment, I knew what I was supposed to say, and I did not want to. I knew my message. I knew exactly what I was supposed to say, and I did not want to say it. I even remember negotiating with God. I was like in the third row, staring up there, sweating, because I knew that what I was going to say, no one wanted to hear. I, I got please don't ask me to do this. God, please. There's something called dignity. And my dignity is completely at stake. I'm going to lose relationship with my entire team if I said that. And I remember right before they called my name and mispronounced it, by the way, I said to God, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to say even the unpopular thing. This was 
This was extremely difficult in my life. And it's one of the most defining moments in my life. When I got up, and here's what I said. I mean, to you, it's not gonna sound shocking, but at the time, in the course of Christian history, in the course of events in America, I'd never heard it said out loud. And that is that God is interested not just in physical purity and abstinence commitment, he's interested in purity of the inner man. He's interested in spiritual purity, mental purity, heart purity, not just physical purity. And so I said it, I let it fly. No one, I mean, it's one of those things where every now and then you hear a cough like <clears throat> It was total silence. And I got done, no one clapped. I sat down, the guy, the leader that came up after me said, he bounced on his toes a little, oh, <laughs> I'm not here to preach holiness. That happened. And it was literally devastating to young Eric Ludy, sitting there feeling completely alone, like everyone in that room wanted away from me. My, my leadership, my, my team, my entire team, they sent a couple emissaries to me and said, you need to make things right, you need to confess uh, that that was wrong and, and ask forgiveness from the entire team. So Eric's like 19 years old. I got an entire missionary team that wants me to say I was wrong. And I said, guys, I genuinely don't want to do anything that would hurt any of you. But I can't say that. This is where I stand. So for me, that might sound like a noble moment. It's one of the weakest I've ever felt in my life. I am a people pleaser by nature. There is nothing about this sort of thing that I want. So when you have to confess sin, it's weakness. When you have to stand for truth, it's weakness. Standing out by the bus, same team. I'm in this mega church with this team down in Louisiana somewhere. I don't remember where it was. And whatever was going on on the stage, which I'm glad I don't remember details. This is a long time ago. It was a bunch of bunk that was being preached from up there. I mean, it was about the worst gospel thing I've ever heard in my life. Totally undermining Christ, totally undermining the word of God. I could not sit there. I could not endorse it even passively. So this is young Eric Ludy. Stand up and I leave. I walk out to the bus, the bus is locked. I stand there in the parking lot outside a bus waiting for my team to come along and look at me and silently pass me and walk into the bus and sit down. Yep, that happened. Eric felt that big. You see, the integrity of a life is not accomplished. When you keep kinks out, it's also very humbling. Defying the prophetess. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever heard this story. Uh, I'm with a, another missionary group. Uh, I'm glad I could swap out missionary groups here. And I'm in uh, New Orleans. A whole bunch of stuff happened in Louisiana. I'm in New Orleans, and boy, there was some weird stuff going on down there. I mean, weird spiritual stuff. So I'm in this church, and there's, it's led by this prophetess lady, okay? And she was odd. And she would have everyone come up to the front, and she'd sit in a chair, and she would prophesy over them. But this is not like good stuff, okay? This isn't like life-giving stuff. So this person, and she starts prophesying over this young boy that he is gonna die. I'm in a real bind here, okay? So I'm, I'm sitting in the crowd, I'm just this young guy, I'm not supposed to have anything to do with this. I, how did I get here in the first place? And I, 
I remember standing up, feeling as weak need as I've ever felt in my life, walking to the front, kneeling down, and defying what was going on. In the name of Jesus, I defy what is taking place. I pray life over this young man. I did that. Every single aspect of what I'm bringing out today is the tension of the inner man agreeing with God. It's hard to do this. This next one, sharing a million dollar bill in Starbucks is more of a humorous one because I didn't want to forget the simple concept that whenever you share the gospel, you feel weak. I don't know how many of you that evangelize have ever felt strong when you evangelize. There's something about it that is inherently humbling. Isn't that weird? It's inherently humbling. It does not mean the grace of God is not present and there's not those moments when you feel very strong that you have a bond and you're communicating strongly with someone, but you go to the next person, you feel a weak again. What is that? So I, I remember I was with three guys in the, Star, the Safeway Starbucks over here and someone whipped out one of those Ray Comfort million dollar bills. Uh, I don't know, it could have been someone in here that was with me. And so I got up more humorously than anything to say, well, let's try it out. And I walked over to this lady and, uh, who was rather ornery, and, and I said, hey, I just wanted to know if you wanted to uh, have a million-dollar bill. And sh she just laid into me. This is like in front of uh, everyone. So I'm like, I just sort of cavalier. I'm going to show you that this is not that hard. I was so humiliated, everything about it. I mean, I didn't get one inch in this woman's life, in this woman's soul. She's like, how dare you? Think, what do you think, that I, I need welfare from you? It's like a million dollar bill. Uh, it's really not a, a, a money, it's, it's actually a gospel. Ah, oh, what do you think, that I need it? She was just, it was humiliating. When we step out to obey God, there's something that we need to do. Exercise humility. You see, if we're so proud, you know what? We've never even come up to someone and share the gospel with them in the first place because we could look really bad in the process. None of us wants to set ourselves up for that situation. And yet, if you want to get kinks out, you need to exercise humility. If you want to keep kinks out, you need to exercise humility. The kingdom of heaven is built in humility. Franklin, Tennessee, this is a very fresh one. I was just at the uh, Christian Film Festival uh, in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and the first night, I, I was doing the, the initial session on Monday night, and that morning, we had a prayer time. I had spent weeks developing my message. I felt so uncomfortable speaking at this event. I don't know if you could use your imagination of why. I'm not a filmmaker. And everyone there, this is the Filmmakers Guild, 650 professional filmmakers, and I'm going to speak to them in a Filmmakers Guild. It's like, I am so out of place. So what goes on in Eric Ludi? But I, okay, I don't realize this. This is subtle. Well, I want to impress them at some level, right? I want to do something or say something that will be impressive, that will cause them to go, hmm, I see why he was invited. Instead, that morning when we were in our staff gathering, the prayer was over us as speakers, Lord, I know that we are all prepared to speak this week, but if there is something different that you desire us to speak, I pray that you would show us that. Oh no, in that very moment, I knew that God was saying, let's scrap that. No, God, no, not now. 
And he did. So that night I came up and felt so weak. That desire that we have to impress, what is that? Why does it matter? Wouldn't we rather just impress God? And so God has to touch those points. It's like, hey, Eric, how you doing there? God, I'm sort of uncomfortable here. Why? Well, all right, I want them to like me. I want them to think that this was a really good decision to have me speak. You know how many times God has asked me to say something that caused the people that invited me in to think that wasn't a very good decision to invite Eric Ludi in? He has asked me to do that so many times. And yet, that's so critical in my life that I'm willing to speak that which he wants instead of that which I know you may want. It's hard though. And it's an exercise of humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So if you want to change the world, simple rule of thumb, humble yourself. You see, when we lift ourselves up, which is the tendency, by the way, every, every environment we go into, there is a way in which you could get books off the shelf of any bookstore, go on to Amazon and figure out how you can have presence and how you can impact an environment. It's to ultimately lift yourself up. You know what it says of Aaron, the high priest, that he did not exalt himself to that high priesthood? God did. And it's speaking of Jesus Christ, that just as Aaron did not exalt himself, even Jesus, who is God Almighty, did not elevate himself. The pattern in scripture is to every room you come into to take the lowest seat. And yet how contrary that is to our natural man. Why would I take the lowest seat? The, the biggest seat is open. Why wouldn't I just go right there? This seat will make me look good. This seat will make me look weak. And God says, I'm telling you ahead of time what my pattern is, low seat. You see, when you take the low seat and you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, he then is able to call you up to influence. He is able to make something flow through your life that otherwise would never be heard. Jesus. So everything we are talking about is what we could call the Jesus pattern. God Almighty humbled himself. And in and through that vehicle, that channel known as the body of Christ, comes through a pure, unadulterated, world-changing message of love and life. So you've heard me say this, but we as a church have five key points. And that sounds like Arminianism or Calvinism, doesn't it? Five fingers is the way we call it here. The word of God in text the word of God in person, the word of God in action. So the word of God in text is scripture. The word of God in person is Jesus. The word of God in action is the cross. The word of God in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the word of God through us. You see, all of this is meant to do something in and through us. So you take those first three, which symbolize Jesus Christ and his work, the word of God in text. It says in the book of John that he is that word made flesh. So that text ultimately reveals Jesus. That man, of course, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all the text. And what he did on that cross is the essence of everything that we put our hope in, we find our salvation in. So look at Jesus and his model for stepping low and taking a low seat. It's incredible, because this is God Almighty, and even in the text of scripture. First, it's in the majestic, mysterious Hebrew. You know, you compare the, the languages of the Old Testament to the New Testament, 
The language of Hebrew is so superior. It's so superior. It has so much richness and so much depth, so much meaning in it. The Koine Greek, common. It's like, it's dirty. It's the language of dogs next to the language of the Hebrew. God reveals himself in the Hebrew, and then he comes to this earth and clothes himself. The whole message of Christ is in what language? Koine Greek, so that everyone on earth could understand it. He made himself common and available to all. The Hebrew, mysterious, only a few know it. But the Koine Greek, everyone knew it. The word of God in person, first in all highness, holiness, and glory. You know, Jesus didn't start his life in the womb of Mary. He is before that. He created the heavens and the earth. And so first, he's all in all highness, holiness, and glory. Then he's laid in a feeding trough and wrapped in peasantry. Whoa! God, are you serious? Yep. He creates a pattern. A pattern for what? The body of Christ. This is how the body of Christ functions in this world. The word of God in action, first in the vast and boundless creation of the universe. When God is acting, Jesus Christ is acting, what's he doing? He's creating all. And I don't know if you've studied the width, breadth, depth of the universe, but it is so massive that you cannot even fathom it. And he created it all. That same one comes and he does a work of new creation. But it's a humble work. He's stripped naked, turns himself over to the hands of sinners who scourge him with a cat of nine tails. His body is bloodied, bruised. His beard is ripped out. The ultimate shame upon shame is mounted upon him. Crown of thorns thrust upon his head and he's pinned to two pieces of wood. This one who created the heavens and the earth, what a work, does a work that is arguably far greater in absolute weakness, humility, what is that? God is showing us a pattern. Though it looks weak, that is the vehicle, that is the passageway through which God's grace and his strength is shown. So now we're the Jesus follower. So the one who did that, he says, uh, you're mine. And I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. God, what exactly do you mean by that? You see, this message is the essence of what he means by that. Are we willing to humble ourselves, deny ourselves, pick up a form of pain and difficulty in this life that the rest of the world is not carrying and choose to, even if it comes to it, die a humbling death of nakedness and pain in front of a, a mocking world so that through this thing known as the body of Christ, the love of Jesus would be made known. So the Jesus follower, first, we recognize something. You know, if you don't recognize this, you can't do any of that. You need to recognize something. First, you need to recognize that you are loved, chosen, adopted, forgiven, and redeemed in Christ Jesus. You see, when you know that, when you function over here with a clear understanding of your position in Christ, what the world hurls at you as far as insults, eh, they bounce off. You see, when you go through difficulty, eh, you realize that's getting turned into a greater strength for you. You see, what Jesus had was an understanding of who he was. What we need is an understanding of who we are in him. And if we have that, we can humble ourselves. 
Because we know who we are in him. What we struggle with is when we're trying to function with who we are outside of him. Am I valuable? Am I enough? It's very difficult to humble yourself and to be weak when you're trying to prop this thing up. But when you give up this and find your identity in Christ Jesus and say, he is sufficient. He is where I find my worthiness. It's his deservedness that I lean on. Then the secret of humility opens up to us. So first recognizing that we are loved, chosen, adopted, forgiven, and redeemed in Christ Jesus. Then we lay down in a feeding trough and become humbly obedient even unto death. I don't know how many of you are excited about laying down in a feeding trough. You know what a feeding trough is? That's a manger, by the way, for those of you that don't know that, that word. He was laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger. It's food for animals. He became food for us. He became something that when we take it in, gives us strength and life. Are you willing to become dinner for a dying world? Are you willing to give up your life and say, here, take of me that you can live? Jesus, name above all names. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. See, this is a mind, this is an attitude, a paradigm, a lens. It's like a set of glasses, a phreneo is what it's called in the Greek. This is a way of looking at life. Let, you need to look at life with the same way that Christ looks at life. So when he was here, how did he look at things? Hey, right there, stick those glasses on. That's the way you're supposed to look at it because, you, hey, you're the body of Christ. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It was not a crime to be equal with God. He was God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what we have is a pattern. Highness has come low. What happens when you take the low seat at the table? Then God can lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The world will teach you the opposite. Lift yourself up so that you can be something. God says, take the lowest seat. Humble yourself in my sight. I will lift you up. This is the kingdom pattern it always has been. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those on earth and of those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Settling the debate once and for all, what language does God speak? This is a ridiculous debate, okay? But people will get caught up in this and, and talk about it, and so let's just settle it. So some people say, well, heaven, we're going to speak Hebrew. Some people say, we're going to speak Koine Greek. That's like obviously where the higher revelation has come in. And then there's people that say it's going to be English uh, because you know, most of us speak that. So when we get there, you know, it makes sense that we would speak the same language. Okay, that is ridiculous. I want to show you the language that heaven speaks. He's fluent in heavenly humility. The one thing we know, whether it's going to be Hebrew, Greek, English, Jesus speaks humility. God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they speak the language of humility. Do you want to become the next great Christian? Well, that's an interesting question for you. What do you think? Oh, of course. I want to be a great Christian. You must become fluent in speaking the language of humility. You see, when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then he can do something with you. 
He chose common Koine Greek to reveal his majesty in the New Testament. The grandness of the gospel came through something humble. This is the pattern of the kingdom of heaven. It always has been. If he is going to reveal his majesty in and through us as a church, we have to be a humble church. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He cannot work with pride. He can't. It creates a kink in the hose. But he can give grace to the humble who acknowledge that was wrong, Lord, I agree with you, and unkink the hose. Now the grace of God can flow freely into our lives. The Christian, where highness meets lowness. So let's talk about highness. This is incredible. First Chronicles 29. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Majesty, highness, that's our God. Now look at us, lowness. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. What's Christianity? It's highness coming and humbling itself and washing the feet of that. That should startle our soul afresh to recognize that we are so undeserving of his love and his mercy, but he, because this is what he speaks, he speaks not just love, but love with humility. He took a place of a servant, removed his outer garment, and washed our feet so that we could be rescued. Sparganao, to wrap in swaddling clothes. Omnipotence was wrapped in weakness. This is the picture. Now, this, I, I love this meditation. This is usually what you save for Christmas, but hey, it's not going to hurt any of us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Whoa, whoa. Okay, you're God, and you're going to give a sign. You're going to give a sign to the shepherds so that they'll know. They'll know that this is omnipotence wrapped in humanity. How are they going to know it? What will be the sign? Listen to this. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the sign. How will you know that God has come to the earth? Well, he'll be wrapped in peasantry, lying in a feeding trough. Does that shock you? How will they know that Jesus Christ has come and is indwelling your life? How will they know? Well, same sign. He'll be wrapped in peasantry, lowness, and your life will lay down in a feeding trough. Simply put, you will give up your life. That's the signal that God has you. You will humble yourself. You will relinquish the controls. You will not be the solution to anyone, including yourself, including your marriage, including your children, but you will say, my God is the solution. Through Jesus Christ, he has made a way. What should our response be? So if you find yourself in the category of the backslidden today, in other words, someone who was on the clear road, you had a clarity in your relationship with Christ, but something came in that disrupted that flow of grace into your life, backslidden. 
Here's what you can do. Go back to that last point of obedience where you veered off and start right there. It's one of the greatest pieces of wisdom you could ever take. If you find yourself growing stale in your Christian life, where did God ask you to do something and you said no? Or you ignored it? Go to that kink and get it out. You don't need to overcomplicate it. God has grace for you. But it's being clogged through disobedience. So if you recognize that you have veered away and that the grace of God is not evident in your life right now, it doesn't mean the grace of God is not available to you. It just means that you've closed off to it. Why, Brad? You knew better than God. You refused to humble yourself. You refused to walk in obedience. So go back to that spot. How about to the stymied? That's a big word. It's an Eric Ludy word probably. Those that are hindered. You ever had it where you're in a dream and you're like, and you can't quite move? Yeah, kind of like that spiritually. Where you know what you need to be doing with your life, but you feel so impaired. You're emotionally impaired. You're psychologically impaired. You're practically impaired. You're stymied. So what should you do? Go to that point of the hose where the Spirit of God is pointing right now and get the kink out. So as we're going through this, there may be very small things in your life, and the devil says that's too small to deal with. Never come to the conclusion that something is too small to deal with. Here's the other thing I want you to understand. You don't need to go digging inside of yourself to find kinks. The Spirit of God will do that. You focus on Jesus Christ, and you make yourself available to him. He'll find them. Your job is not to find kinks. It's to agree that that kink needs to come out and agree with how it's supposed to come out. So for some of you in here, there might be a free flow. And some of you made something right right before the start of this message. You're just so glad about it because you've been able to sit back and really enjoy this message. Like, oh, praise God. But there's still an action. Go to that manger and freshly lay down in it. That place of givenness, offering, and surrender. Now, one of the ways to do it is to say, get on that cross and just humbly give yourself. That's, that's a mental picture that I think works, should. And this is the other one. And that is, are we willing to acknowledge that that's the place Christ came. That was the signal to the world that this was a genuine article here. This is God Almighty wrapped in human skin. That was the sign. Well, let's let that sign be shown in us afresh. This is swaddling clothes right here. It's known as the human body. Weakness. And let's lay ourselves down and say, God, I give myself to you and I give myself to others. And so, Wherever we're at, it doesn't matter if we're strong or weak, there's still an action. So, have you spoken things that are not true? Things that, where there has been a lie, need to be overwritten with truth. Even small things. Are there wrongs in your life that need to be made right? Are you holding on to things that don't belong to you? Typically called stealing or theft. But we oftentimes look at stealing and theft of going into a store and stealing something, but there could be other things that you're holding on to that don't belong to you. Do you know what you ought to do but have simply been unwilling to do it? Is your pride standing in the way of you taking that next step with God? For each one of us, there's such a craving that I have in my own life, but also corporately as a body, that nothing would stand in the way of our forward movement. And it's interesting because in leading a body, 
I can be responsible for my own soul, but I can't be responsible for your actions and your response, which makes me feel very weak. I don't think that's bad. I think we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us. And so our job in each of these situations, whether it's what I'm doing this morning of bringing it up, or whether it's your position and role this morning to respond, I have to respond to this too, by the way. There are certain things that are going through me as I'm up here that I'm like, okay, God, wow, that wasn't in my head when I was preparing this, that I need to respond to as well. And it's because God loves me. I don't know how many of you have ever, have ever come to the conclusion that conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is sweet. It is. It's a gift. You see, if God had given up on you, you wouldn't feel conviction. If God was like, eh. But when you feel conviction, it's like, oh, God loves me. God cares about me. He hasn't forsaken me. It's actually a signal of life. So cherish it, even though there's a little discomfort that can come with that. That discomfort is a gift to you because God loves you too much to allow that grace to be cut off. He wants you to have the fullness of Him. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.